everyone, and welcome back to Blue and Gold, a Superman and Booster Gold podcast. So hopefully that music got you all jazzed. I love the John Williams music. It's so good. So, so, so good. The, it's, his, it's, John, it's my favorite score by John Williams, bar none. Now, Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade is up there. I mean, there's so many John Williams scores that are up there, but I would probably say the second that I would put on the list would be Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade. That 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 music is phenomenal as well, but who the, the Superman March just gets me so jazzed every single time I see it. So welcome to uh, this episode. I hope everyone out there is doing well. I've been wishing that the last few episodes I've done with coronavirus, and now the United States is tearing itself apart with everything going on. And I wish everyone well, and I hope you're safe. And everything is going okay. It's getting into the heart of summer, which is crazy. Still working from home. There's no end in sight for the working from home. I don't. I, I. I don't know if I remember if I had talked about this in the last episode or not, or even if I knew at that time or not. But I recently asked my manager how long it would probably be before I would be going back to actually working in the office instead of working from home. And she said, most likely after the new year, which <laughs> blew my mind. I was expecting, so as at the time of recording this, at the time of recording this, if you're listening in the future, I'm recording this right, right at the um, uh, uh, mid June of 2020. And so I thought I'd hear an answer. Uh, I, I work for University of Michigan, and they're pretty conservative in terms of keep. Well, I mean, they're very liberal, obviously, but very conservative in terms of wanting to keep people safe with everything going on with the coronavirus. And so they're not going to have anybody who doesn't need to come back to campus and to work uh, come back to, come back if they don't need to. So, but I was still thinking, you know, something like I was expecting to hear something from between August to October from my manager. But to hear after the new year, I was like, whoa, that kind of blew my mind. I mean, it saves on gas. So that's fine with me. So what is on the docket for today? So for today, well, the music introduction might have been a little bit of a clue. I'm going to be talking about Christopher Reeve movies. But specifically, I'm going to be talking about them from seeing them in the theater. My experiences seeing them in the theater. Because I have seen... So I'm not going to be talking about Superman two or um three and four because I have not seen those in the theater yet, uh, but I have seen Superman one and two, uh, and I'm going to be talking about those experiences. And so then you might be thinking, so what are you talking about for Booster Gold? You you try to keep the episodes aligned where you kind of talk about similar topics, uh, you know, Justice League action for Superman and Booster Gold, and and but today it's we're getting back to switching it up or you know keep it, they're separate um, for Booster Gold. I'm going to be talking about Booster Gold and Infinite Crisis. And for anybody who listens to this who thinks, oh, they just had the JL May thing going on on with uh, various other notable podcasts in the small podcasting community. I know um, a lot of the listeners to this probably listen to other podcasts that might have been participating in JL May. I'm not. I don't even, I, I don't personally know any of those podcasters, but I listen to quite a few and I'm aware that they were doing J.O. May covering Infinite Crisis. And if you don't know what I'm talking about with J.O. May, it's a uh, every year there's a, a bunch of podcasts that get together. They're not that aren't usually affiliated, but the hosts are friendly and they'll 
you know, uh, make guest appearances on each other's shows every now and then. But usually you get about 10, 10, 12 podcasts that will each cover a certain aspect of something to do with the Justice League or um, DC Comics. And each podcast will cover part of that. And last year, I think they did Blackest Night, I think. And this year was um, Countdown to Infinite Crisis. So all of the Countdown minis and things. And so I am not participating in that. It wasn't even my intention to be part of that or even to be piggybacking. Although I'll, I'll piggyback. It's just the timing kind of worked out. And what I mean by that is I have been trying to go on a... Uh, eBay kick where I've, I've been trying to pick up various booster gold things that he's appeared in. Um, you know, the, the most recent Harley Quinn issues that I didn't have. Um, so I, I, I had remembered before I knew anything about JL May and that they were going to be doing anything related into infinite crisis. Um, and I'm going to stop talking about JL May because I'm not associated with that. Uh, even though I listened to some of those episodes, but uh, I will, I'll talk about, well, after I finish this story, I'll stop talking about it. So how the the timing just worked out where I had I have been trying to buy Booster Gold appearances in, in non-Booster Gold titles. And I, and I remembered, I didn't read the OMAC Project, the Countdown to Infinite Crisis miniseries, the OMAC Project, until probably three or four years ago. And I happened to read it and was surprised at how much... From what from my memory, how much Booster Gold was actually involved. Now, when I get to that later in the episode, we'll see that maybe I was a little incorrect in how much Booster Gold was involved. But I, I remembered, oh yeah, Booster Gold was involved in that. Let me pick up those issues on eBay. So I got those. It was probably what like early March or something, or or um, Marchish, or maybe 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 a little bit after. But I got those those issues arrived, and I read through them, and then they announced JL May, and I was like, dang it. Even though I have no idea how many people from who run those podcasts are even aware of this show and or listen to it, probably very little um, because this show is smaller. And But I was like, dang it, that kind of locks me out. Yeah, but And I was like, man, Booster Gold doesn't have tons of stuff, and so it kind of locks me out at least for a while from talking about inf- his Infinite Crisis stuff. And then I was like, no, it doesn't. And so I had been reading... Um, the OMAC project and countdown and leading up to that. So that maybe I wanted to, before I dove back into rereading the OMAC project, I wanted to reread countdown to infinite crisis and then reading OMAC project and countdown to infinite crisis made me want to then read infinite crisis. And my plan was to talk about it as an episode and that's still going to be my plan. So I'm not affiliated with JL May, but it's it's kind of serendipity. It kind of is just falling around that time frame. Um, so that's what I'm going to be talking about in the second half of the show. So let's talk about Superman the movie. Just Superman in general at the movie theater. Up until... I've been a Superman fan my entire life. And, up in, and, I'm, and I'm a huge movie buff. And up until about 2000... And up until 2007, I had never seen Superman the movie... Or any Superman film in the theater. Actually, I take that back. Superman Returns came out in 2006. So I obviously saw Superman Returns when it came out. I saw that in the theater, I th- think, three times. Maybe maybe uh, only twice. Twice for sure. Because uh, one of them was a little bit 
a different viewing. And I'll talk about that when and if, probably not if, but when I do a Superman Returns, some Superman Returns talk. But so prior to 2006, I had never seen anything, or uh, prior to 2007, I had never seen anything Christopher Reeve in the theater because movies don't get re-released a ton, although with Fathom events and things, it's happening more and more. But things don't get released a ton, and so it was. This, this was back in college, 2007. I live in Michigan, and I was going to still a senior in college at University of Michigan in 2007. And it got released. I think I learned about it through the Superman homepage. But it, it word got around that a uh, nice theater in Chicago. Uh, well, a theater in Chicago is going to be playing a midnight screening of Superman the movie. Oh, I was over the moon. Chicago is only about four hours away. I haven't really, at, at that point, I don't think I had been to Chicago. So that might have been my first time even going. I was, my, my parents didn't like to travel a ton outside of seeing family when I was a kid. So there was no reason to go to Chicago. Actually, funny, funny enough, my parents are so deathly afraid of like big cities and things and crime. When I was a kid, we would go, my mom is originally from Kansas, and so once a year we would usually go back to Kansas. And coming from Michigan, the easiest way was to go, um, was around the Chicago area, And but my parents would always go out of their way. I don't remember how long it would take them to, to go out of their way, so that way they didn't even have to drive close to Chicago. At, at least that's my memory of it, but so to, uh, back to the story, 2007, it, it gets announced it's going to be a midnight movie. So I had been, uh, my, my wife and I were, or at the time, my fiance and I, we were um, dating, obviously, in 2006. We didn't get married, or till, we didn't get married until 2007. And now that I'm like trying to recount the story, it might, this might have been 2006 that we went to Chicago. This, no, no, I remember the apartment my wife was living in. It was 2007. So it was, I can't, it must have either been just, after we got married or just before? Sorry, for, I, I apologize on the memory of, uh, for that. But it was 2007-ish. And, and I, I'm only bringing that up because I got married right after college, um, a- after we graduated from college in 2007. May 19th is my anniversary. And so I'm trying to remember exactly the timing here. But it, it doesn't matter. So I was with my wife slash girlfriend, whatever she was at the time, and we drove to Chicago, got there, you know, earlier in the day because we thought we'd spend the entire day just hanging around Chicago, seeing stuff, eating some deep dish, deep dish pizza. So it was awesome. So we did that. We got there. And then the mo- the midnight movie started. And one thing about Superman the movie is that it's long. Now, I was uh, – I, re- I remember I watched the whole movie. Driving driving home was a little rough because it was about a four-hour drive. So you can imagine Superman the movie, you know, theatrical cut is two hours and twenty three minutes. Um, the although the uh, and the the director's cut adds another eight minutes on top of that, and it was the director's cut that was shown on the longer the longer cut that was released on DVD in two thousand one. That was the version. Um, that I, I think it was on film, but it was at least that cut. I don't think they just screened a DVD um, of the movie, but. It was, you know, that's a long movie, and then so you don't, you don't even get out of there, and, and then back to the car until probably close to three o'clock. Then four hour drive because we were cheap college students and we didn't have a lot of money, so we weren't going to get a hotel for the night. 
And so we were going to, our plan was just to drive back, but holy cow, tired, had to pull over probably about halfway at a, uh, one of those, uh, um, stop and ride places that you'll see. So we did that, but let's talk about the screening itself. I had never, the music box theater in Chicago is where it was. And it's a gorgeous theater. It really reminds me if anybody is in the Michigan and specifically the Ann Arbor area where the university of Michigan is, there's the Michigan theater and the music box, the music box theater is very much like the Michigan theater. It still has an old, old school, old Hollywood feel like a 1940s, um, feel to the theater. And it actually has a curtain, an old school style curtain that opens. So obviously Superman, the movie has the curtains that open the film. So it was funny because we had curtains that opened and then the, uh, the curtains in the film opened. but the theater was, is a gorgeous theater and it's, was immaculately like kept up. It's one, um, I didn't know it at the time, but it's, I've since found out that it's like one of, it's a well-known, like, uh, um, old school Hollywood style theater that's still around and it's, uh, pretty well known, but I, I just remember being in awe of seeing the movie on the big screen for the first time. It was amazing. People cheered when Richard Donner's name came up in the credits and when John Williams name came up in the credits and, um, I specifically remember this person sitting in front of us and it wasn't, it's, it's an old school style theater. So it's not stadium style seating or anything, but there was a person sitting in front of us who was wearing a black Superman shirt. And I remember, I don't know if I looked like this person or not, like not physically, but I remember this person was basically shaking with anticipation about this movie. I can, I, I distinctly recall. I think I'm a, I'm a big Superman fan. I can only imagine this person. He was physically shaking at the beginning. I mean, not like violent or violent or anything. Just, but I could just tell the anticipation of this person. And I and I'm not sure how if my wife could, you know, re recount what I look like. I remember that person and just the anticipation and the excitement. And what a, what an experience seeing that movie uh, on, on the big screen for the first time. Seeing it so large and vibrant and projected it was the first time i ever seeing the film projected you know not when it's on a, a a television screen and it was it was so amazing and i noticed details that i had never noticed before and have since now i noticed them when i watched them on at home but when clark is going up to the fortress of solitude he's and he's going up the ice there's there's actually one sh- oh, a shot where a polar bear comes out of the water and i had never in my life noticed that and it's not like i didn't have it clear i believe at that point i even had the film on blu-ray although depending on the timing if it was 2006 it might not have been on blu-ray yet i just can't remember exactly but either way i had it on dvd for sure and i've seen the movie at that point hundreds of times and i had never noticed that polar bear coming out of the water i'd be curious i haven't watched a 4-3 version of that movie of the superman movie since i got um since the DVD came out. I don't even have my VH cop- VHS copy anymore, which I lament. But the I wonder if that if in that cut the polar bear is cut out. You know, I have uh, a downloaded. Even though now they've released the official uh, TV edit, I have a downloaded version that I had even um, that I got from online s- somewhere. Somebody had uploaded the the TV cut, and that is in four three. I wonder. I should. I should go back and see if the uh, polar bear is cut off in that because maybe that's why I didn't. I never noticed it as a kid. 
But I, re- I remember that was the first time I noticed that and was blown away. So now, 2007, nothing, another dry spell. You know, I was just happy. I didn't know before that that I was ever going to I didn't think I'd ever see Superman in the movie before that. Oh, I should back up. I was born in 1985. So the only movie I w- could have even seen in the theater would have been Superman 2. And I still didn't see that. I mean, and I would have, I wouldn't have remembered it even if my parents did take me and I didn't. So for those of you who might be thinking, didn't you see it? Could you have seen it first run? No, I couldn't have. I'm, I'm too young. So 2007, this would, I would have been um, 21 because it would have been, it was before, it was for sure before my birthday, uh, which is in September. So I would have been 21. And I, up until that point, I was never thought I would see it in the theater. So I was just over the moon that I got to see it. Then go another five years, 2012. Um, Ann Arbor in here in Michigan has a couple of film festivals. They have like the big, well-known Ann Arbor Film Festival. But they have a smaller festival called Cinetopia. And it, usually it has various theme things that are associated with it. It's a typical small town film festival, I guess. And they announced in 2012 that they were going to be showing Superman the movie. Not at the Michigan Theater, which is very much like the Music Box Theater that I mentioned in, in Chicago. Uh, Michigan Theater's gorgeous, gorgeous cathedral, like super high ceilings. It's, it's like the the um, the the artwork in the place. The place is just a gorgeous movie house. And then there's the State Theater, which is Kitty Corner, which is kind of like just a... And I can't speak to its heyday like back in the 60s and 70s, but... When I was the, the the state theater that I'm familiar with is above some clothing stores, and it's not it's a smaller screen. But I was just excited that it was going to be shown at all. So drive to Ann Arbor with with my wife again, and and we go see it. And it is I am so happy that this wasn't my first viewing on the big screen because they were projecting not even the. D- a Blu-ray. I'm, I'm sure they were showing a DVD. I don't know if they were showing a DVD. I can't. I shouldn't say I'm sure. But the picture wasn't clear. It, the audio wasn't great. It just was not a... I mean, I shouldn't complain. Uh, it's, you know, complaining about the the riches of my second viewing of Superman the movie on the theater. Because there's lots of fans out there who haven't even seen it at all. So I'm lucky. Um, but this viewing just was not a very good uh, viewing. It's Of the times I've seen it. It was my, it's my least favorite, uh, for sure. Then come 2014 and every single time I see Superman, the movie in the, in, in the theater, I assume it's going to be the last time because the movie is not shown, you know, it's a 40, 42 year old movie now. And you, you, you don't expect to see it that often, um, if ever. And so every single time I've seen it, I thought that would be the last time. So I always make it a point if it's within driving, reasonable driving distance, I usually try to make it a point if, and so 2014 comes around and it's announced that it's going to be playing at one of the large cinema chains in Windsor, Ontario in Canada. And you're thinking Canada, what? And so, yeah, I, I live in Michigan, but What's crazy is Canada, for those of you who might not be aware, Canada is super, super close to the to the Detroit area. And I don't live in the Detroit area. I live in the kind of halfway between the Lansing and Detroit area, I guess you'd say. Um, but 
uh, we always think of Canada as being north north of the United States, but actually, if you're above Detroit in Michigan, and Detroit's pretty low, Detroit is more in the southern, uh, southeastern part of Michigan. If you're above Detroit, you're above Canada. Um, Canada is actually south. Um, now, I only bring that up just to, to the, the irony of um, we always think Canada's to the north, but for a lot of people in Michigan, it's actually south. Um, but it was announced it was going to be playing at, it's basically the equivalent, um, it's called Cineplex there in Canada. And it's basically the equivalent of like an AMC or a Regal or, or a theater like that here in the United States. And maybe there even are Cineplex theaters here in the United States and I'm just not aware of it. But it was announced and so I, I, I bought tickets and I made it a point to go to that. And that was really cool. I, that was the first time that I went by myself because at the time we had a, uh, um, a less than one year old son, our, our, our first, and I had to actually cross an, in, an international border. It was only about an hour and 20 minute drive, but I had to cross an international border, which is what I love to this day still saying about, I've driven further. It was further, it was a further drive to go to Chicago, but Chicago is, you know, going from Michigan to Ohio, isn't that crazy when you're talking to individuals from the United States. But saying that you went from the United States to Canada to see a movie, that can make people, you know, raise their eyebrows like, what? But it's not as crazy as it sounds when you live about an hour away from the border and crossing the border wasn't that big of a deal. I think in 2014, you didn't even need a passport. I can't remember i now you do you need a passport and but i probably brought my passport just to be safe uh, i'm sure i did knowing myself brought the passport just to be safe because crossing a international i mean it's still on one hand i joke oh it's not that far away it's about an hour away but i mean it still is crossing an international border so i went to canada to see superman the movie and that was it it was nice it was um the state theater that i was mentioning in ann arbor where it was not a great viewing experience that is um that that theater is a little bit smaller this was like a full you know uh you know big movie theater like like you'd think going to see a movie at any amc theater and so it was a little bit different experience and, and even then the uh so every experience has, that i've seen in the movie has been a little bit different because the music box theater in chicago was an old scott style movie house, um house and and i haven't seen it like that since so that was going to Canada, and so that was really cool. And I still love to tell people to this day that, yeah, I cross an international border to see my favorite movie. The next time that it came, and so, again, as I mentioned, every single time I see it, I think, well, that's the last time. It's pretty rare to see to have movies, old movies released, and then I'm not going to see it again. Well, it came up again, 2018. And this time I have to give a shout-out to the Caped Wonder Superman podcast and Jim Bowers and Jay Towers, that crew, uh, evangelicals for the Christopher Reeves Superman movies, if you're aware of them. If you're not, go check out capedwonder.com. I'm not affiliated with that at all, by the way. But Caped Wonder, they were, or, um, and um, uh, Jay Towers and Jim Bowers, they were um, involved in getting, oh, you know what? Let me back up. Back up. Let me back up. I'm sorry. I am getting my viewing experiences wrong. I'm actually talking about Superman 2, where um, I saw it with uh, Jim Towers and Kate Bowers. Let me get to that story in a minute. I actually was bummed out in 2018 that I wasn't going to see Superman the movie because they were showing it um, 
here in Michigan, we have the Motor City, the, the, the Motor City Comic Con. It's the biggest, biggest Comic Con here in Michigan. It was actually canceled this year. Bummer. But um, Jay Towers, a local radio and, and TV personality, he's one of the biggest Superman fans out there. And he's hooked up and he's good friends with um, Jim Bowers from the Caped Wonder Superman po- or su- the Caped Wonder Superman website, and he's been running that for a long, long time, near going on twenty years now. And I had been aware of Caped Wonder and visited that site many times throughout the years. And they announced together that there was that they were going to be part of um, hosting su- Superman the movie at the local Imagine Theater in Novi, Michigan. But we were on we were going to be on vacation. Oh, bummer. Although it wasn't really a bummer, we were on vacation. Uh, Took a really cool vacation out to Seattle and Portland, and then down to San Francisco. So that was a really cool vacation. But we were, but I missed it. I missed it on the big screen. Kind of bummed, but at the same time, it was a really awesome vacation. Um, and they also had some. They were part of and hosted some panels. That's Motor City uh, Superman the, uh, reunion with uh, I believe Sarah Douglas and Aaron Smilinski and some things that I missed. But again, awesome vacation, redwood trees, Golden Gate Bridge, the whole the whole nine yards in terms of San Francisco and things and um and but so then later that year though, it was announced I Fathom Events, I believe it was Fathom, so was going to be showing the movie in November of twenty eighteen. Now, if I didn't miss the one in the summer, which, sorry, I, I didn't mention uh, Motor City Comic Con is in May, so I missed it then. I could have seen it in the theater twice on, in 2018, which would have been uh, really cool, but I didn't. Um, but I did see it in the Imagine Theater, and this one was very similar to the Cineplex, seeing it in Windsor. But the thing that made this one really special is that I saw it with my son, who, if you remember, um, I mentioned I didn't take him to I when I went to Windsor he was less than a year old now here we are 2018 and he is um going on or he had turned five he was he was like five and a half and I thought what an awesome opportunity to go with him so I took him and we went and it was really awesome seeing it in the theater they had a little uh mini introduction which can't be found anywhere else. It was like it was unique to that um, experience where they had a little, or they had a little introduction with some somebody um, talking about the film, and it was probably about five minutes or and whatnot. But that was really special, just because I got to see it with my son. Very cool, and just seeing seeing the movie in the theater is very cool. So that was November of 2018, and again, like I say, after every time, that'll be the last time I see it. So then comes. 2019 and we're back up to may so the motor city comic-con is happening again and this is when i saw it with um and so now we're going to switch to superman 2 i was excited they announced caped one and i believe at the time of the 2018 i don't think they were doing the caped wonder superman uh podcast at the time but now they were and jim bowers and jay towers and they announced they were going to be. They had done Superman the movie the year prior, so they were going to be doing Superman two at the Imagine Theater in Novi. And I was like, "Yeah, oh, this is awesome! I've never seen Superman two in the theater. I've seen Superman at this point four times. I haven't seen Superman two or any other um, Christopher Reeve movies. And so I saw Superman two, and it was really awesome. Uh, there was a couple of special guests to there at the start of the film. 
Jack O'Halloran, Nan, Sarah Douglas, Ursa, and Hadley Kay, the little boy that Superman rescues at Niagara Falls. Now, if you're not that familiar with the name Hadley Kay, which I wasn't, um, he, there's, there's an interview with him on the Cape to Wonder Superman podcast. Go check it out. But they were there. It was awesome. They got, they were, um, especially um, Sarah Douglas and Jack O'Halloran, and they were there. And so I, I got, I didn't get pictures with them, but I was, you know, from the, from my seat in the auditorium, I got up some pictures and that was really cool. knowing that, knowing that some of the stars of the movie were there. Now, what was really interesting is watching the movie. It's going along. It's, it's really good. You know, I, I, I've seen these movies a million times and I know what to expect. And there are scenes in there that weren't in the theatrical. So, um, after the, uh, after the fact, well, no, not after the fact. Actually, at Motor City Comic Con, probably the next day or the day after, because um, I think we went to the Comic Con on Saturday, and I think the movie was on Thursday, uh, the prior Thursday, and and I was talking to Jim Bowers at the Cape to Wonder Superman podcast booth there at the Motor City Comic Con, and he was saying, "Yeah, that was my that was a you know it was a it was my own cut." So what was interesting is I've seen Superman 2 in the theater, but it was a fan cut. It was not Superman 2 theatrical because there was a few scenes here or there sprinkled in that I don't know. You would ne- you definitely wouldn't know. It was edited really, really well, but and it wasn't the full international cut. You know, it wasn't the full TV cut, but it wasn't. It, it just had a couple things sprinkled in here, the, here and there, which was really interesting. And yeah, Jim Jim Bauer said it was his his cut. And so it was interesting. I, I've seen Superman two and a fan cut who, you know, raise your hand out there. If you've seen a fan cut in a, in a big, um, you know, cineplex movie theater style, um, uh, movie theater, not very many of us have, have had that happen, uh, seeing a, a, a fan cut. <laughs> so it's just funny in general, though, it was Superman two, every, everything we know and love just with a couple of extra things sprinkled in none of the, it was mostly theatrical. Um, no, no Jarrell. From what I remember, I don't think so. it was uh, Jarrell there. And so again, 20, 2019 happened. Now at this point, I'm thinking, oh, we're going to do every year they're going to have a Motor City thing. And maybe maybe next year will be Superman 3. Well, no, this year what happened? Coronavirus happened. And so none of that um, happened at all. But uh, yeah, Mo- Motor City was canceled altogether. But lo and behold... Uh, what happened last Monday, which made was the impetus for wanting to record and talk about my my movie going experiences with the Christopher Reeve movies. Superman homepage. I was working from home last Monday. So what was it? Monday the Monday the Monday the eighth, I guess it would have been Monday June eighth. Sitting on my computer doing work, you know, checking checking things out as well. And I see from Superman homepage, Superman the movie is playing at Getty's Drive-in in Muskegon, Michigan. And I went, what? Muskegon is about two hours and 15 minutes from us. It's on the uh, west side of the state by Lake Michigan. But I molded over my head. I was like, well, I've already seen Super in the movie four times. And it's a ways away, you know, over two hours. But then I'm like, well, it's the drive-in. I've never... Who goes to a drive-in anymore? Now, there are drive-ins. And... But not very... They're, they're not very... Uh, prominent anymore to say the least and so i was very excited and talked about my talked to my wife and she's like no drive-ins are super late they don't the movies don't really start till it gets dark and it's a long movie and the kids will get tired and so it was just decided i would go by myself so i went by myself the two-hour drive and 
this was one of my favorite of the five experiences, which I've seen it five times. That's I recognize how lucky I am to be as big of a Superman fan as I am and had to have been able to see it five times. But the the drive-in was something special. It was it's probably my second favorite viewing after the initial viewing at the Music Box Theater in two thousand seven. And then there's and then um so, you know I can't discount seeing it with with, with my son in twenty eighteen. But the drive-in was something amazing. It was seeing it on the big screen under the stars. It was a clear night. There were stars out. I've never watched Superman the movie outside before on a big screen. Just a, And just seeing something that you're familiar with, but in a new and novel way is just uh, is just ex- exhilarating and, and thrilling. And being able to... So Superman the movie at a drive-in theater was amazing, even with some of the technical problems I had. I have a newer car, uh, 2018 uh, model uh, Ford Explorer, and apparently newer cars are just not built for drive-ins. Like I, I, no matter what I could do, I couldn't figure out how to get uh, my park lights to go off with, and had the radio on because to have the, you know, they broadcast the movie sound through the FM radio. So you want to have your radio on unless you bring it like a little portable FM radio or something. But um, to have the, to have it go through the speakers, I, I had the lights couldn't go off. And then the workers like wanted to put some, some, wet paper towel over my lights to at least dim them. And they did that. And, and they did that right at the beginning of the movie. Um, but even with some of the technical problems and then uh, to get the lights to go off on the dashboard, because even in, in accessory run on a car, the park lights and the dashboard um, display, we didn't want to go off. And so to get this, so it was, I had some technical issues, but it was still an amazing viewing that I'll remember forever. One of my favorites, just seeing it, outside really 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 cool so that was my that's been my experiences i don't know if i'll and and now i've seen it different ways it really is uh you know um um i've 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 had i've been lucky fortunate enough to see it enough times that if if it shows up and superman the movie is um and and if it's any further driving distance than maybe within an hour or, or an hour and a half or so I'll probably pass it up because I've been able to see it and I'm, I've been able to see it in various ways and, and internationally going to Canada to see it. Now, the one way I would love to see it is they've announced this year's Superman in concert where, but um, in, in London, the Royal Philharmonic um, um, orchestra is going to be playing in London. Then they're going to be playing along with the movie. So the music for the movie will be, um, uh, played by the orchestra, which, oh man, I, I told my wife when that was announced last year, it was announced that it was going to, that there was going to be the Superman in, in concert as, as they're calling it. Um, but they didn't announce where, and I told my wife, if it's any, anywhere within the continental United States, I am flying there. And she agreed. And she's like, yeah, that would be amazing. I'm not going to go, but, um, and, and we'll save some money and you can go. And, but then where do they announce it? It's in London and in Switzerland, but the Switzerland got canceled because of coronavirus. So that would get me to spend some major moolah here in the United States. If, if they do announce a date at some point that is, that is, um, here in the United States, uh, continental United States, that would get me to travel. Um, and that, but other than that, I've been fortunate enough to see it in enough different ways that, 
it's got to be something really special, not just a typical viewing at a movie theater and now to get me. And it's crazy to even say that. Like when I, you know, back before 2007, before our first viewing, if you would have told me that, you know, um, you know, less than a, you know, a decade, decade and a half later, I will have seen it five times in the theater and, um, I'm going to, you know, say, well, I've seen it enough. I'm not going to, it's got to be something extra, extra special to get me to go see it again. If it's not within really close driving distance that what a lucky fan I am. All right. And with that, I think we're going to move on to the booster gold section of the show. All right, so let's get into Booster Gold and what he was up to during Infinite Crisis. Now, there's not a ton, not a ton here, but we're going to start at Countdown to Infinite Crisis. So let me say one thing about Infinite Crisis in general. 2000, let's say, that was around the time when I was in college. 2000, I was in college from 2003 to 2007, but let's say from about 2004 to 2007 or so, I was really sort of out of the game in terms of keeping up with what was going on in comics seriously, um, just with college. And I went, uh, I needed, I was a poor college kid and I needed some extra money. So I actually joined the military and I joined the uh, Air Force, uh, Air Force Reserves. And so I had a lot of stuff going on. At this period, so I was I had just tuned out, and it wasn't convenient to get comics at the time. There was a comic shop in Ann Arbor, but it just wasn't. But I don't know, as a student with stuff going on, it just wasn't as convenient. So, all the lead up to Infinite Crisis, all the countdowns, like just in general, this big massive thing that was getting built up, I missed out on at the time. Now I got caught up pretty quickly after things. <clears throat> 2007, I pretty much got caught up on. On most things, um, especially Infinite Crisis and everything, and I didn't get into Booster Gold. I'm not sure if I've mentioned this on this podcast, um, but I really didn't get into Booster Gold until Volume Two, Booster Gold Volume Two. Uh, I think I really enjoyed his appearances in in Fifty Two, and. Of course, I was familiar with him from his appearances um, in the Death of Superman storyline um, during the Doomsday fight, but it was really 52, and then you start reading um, Booster Gold, or Volume 2, and then, of course, I fell in love with the character, and he's been my number two character ever since, but I wasn't really like, tracking what was going on with him or what was going on with the DC Universe in general during Infinite Crisis. So I'm coming at this a little bit later. Um, Didn't get it, as I was saying, I didn't really get into Infinite Crisis until after it was all over 2007. And then it's only been in the last few years that I've really dug back to look at, well, what was Booster up to during Countdown to Infinite Crisis? And rereading it with that, especially during this reread here, reading it with that critical eye in terms of tracking what's going on with Booster. How often does he show up? What's 
because none of the miniseries and Countdown to Infinite Crisis and Infinite Crisis itself, none of that actually involves... Booster isn't a very big player in a lot of it, but he's bigger in some than others. So let's get into it. Uh, we got Countdown, Countdown to Infinite Crisis, number one, where, spoiler, uh, Ted dies. And we got this gorgeous... I love the cover of painted... It Jim Lee artwork painted over and enhanced with Alex Ross. It just looks really, really good. I only wish that Booster Gold was on this cover. So we have Batman obviously holding, holding Ted. But um, this is a I, I have the first printing, so you don't know it's Ted. But one of the things that is bugs me is that alex ross has never drawn booster gold he's never alex ross the awesome painter that he is has never drawn booster gold and this is one of the first this is looking at everything that's happened with booster and thinking about where it would make sense where he would pop up drawn by alex ross he's not going to pop up in justice the the 12 issue maxi series that he did um because that was mo- mostly sort of an update on Super Friends. It was sort of a, a modern-day take on 1970s DC Comics. And I suppose he could have showed up in in Kingdom Come, but this was during the Vwahaha years, and Alex Ross has been known to not like that era in general, and he likes the Magnificent Seven, as, as you call them. So Alex Ross isn't going to draw Booster Gold in, in Kingdom Come. Um, but here we have a story involving Ted and if there's ever a spot where we can get, a, um, a take on Booster Gold, although it would have been a Jim Lee and Alex Ross take on it. If there's ever a time though, that we would have gotten a Booster Gold take on, or, um, an Alex Ross take on Booster Gold, it would have been this cover, but maybe they would have thought that was tipping their hands too much to have, to have Booster on the cover, tipping their hand that it was Ted who was there dead, uh, because everybody else in this cover is mostly uh, the big guns. Although you do have Hawkman, I feel like, is in or out sometimes. He's 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 not always upper echelon. I feel like he's a little bit higher. If Booster Gold is a B-level character, I feel like Hawkman is like a B-plus level character. Although you do have uh, Power Girl on here and Dr. Fate. But it's it's a really it's a, it's a really great great cover. Now the one thing... Uh, so my, my notes for this issue is that this... This special takes Ted and Michael and treats them seriously, not jokey. It's a great issue. Earlier on, we see Booster in civilian clothes putting money or um, pulling money from an ATM when Ted shows up. And I like the jacket with the blue and gold colors for Booster. It's sort of like a, a take on Booster's colors, but with a normal jacket and in his civilian clothes. But the color scheme of the jacket he's wearing lets you know it's booster. It's a, it's a, it's, it's, it's a good looking jacket. I would, I would probably own, I, I would own one. It's, I gotta say it's much better than what he's sporting in the new Harley Quinn stuff that's been coming out where he's doing jacket and boots. Um, but I, I, I really liked it. So the Christ countdown infinite crisis is split up into five chapters In chapter one is drawn by rags Morales and he, he does a pretty good job. And there's a fun recap page of the JLI days um, because – and this is appreciated because not everybody, even myself, wasn't re- – at the time, wasn't really aware and had 
of the Bwahaha days and, and the JLI and everything that had gone on in the early to mid nineties and, uh, uh, with this, with that Justice League team, and this title is very entrenched in that myth, in that history, and so it was great to get that that recap page for those of us who maybe not don't quite un, who at the time of reading this didn't quite understand the level and depth of the friendship between Michael and Ted. And Booster talks about on on in when. It, his appearance, his first appearance that he, when he's pulling money from the ATM, he talks about needing to catch a flight to California to get us for a sunglasses as an endorsement. And it's just interesting the different takes on how some, some writers will play into boosters, boosters, endorsement deals and that fame lifestyle he wants to lead more than others. And here it's interesting because he's down on his luck. He's, he's pulling money from Ted's, Ted's bank account and Ted says go ahead and keep the money keep the car just don't do it very often uh, but he but in, in this point in Booster's career he sort of he's down on his luck and he stopped wearing and, and he references what happens to to Sue in, in Identity Crisis and he stopped wearing the costume after I, Identity Crisis which I had forgotten so I was surprised to, to read that that he was that he was out of costume, although, spoiler, he's not going to out of costume for that long. And Booster has the idea to go see Maxwell Lord for lunch. Dun-dun-dun. Who knows where this is going. After lunch, Ted wants, to go, Ted wants to go see Batman, and Michael says, They don't respect us. We are second stringers. We Take care of yourself, Booster. It's what you do best burn it's it's an interesting conversation because when ted wants to go see batman booster recognizes and 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 he he recognizes his place in the dc in 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 the dc universe and and he recognizes that he doesn't have as much respect as maybe he for sure as much as he would want but maybe as much as he deserves either although at this point he didn't have the moniker the greatest hero the world's never known because that that really came into play um, and and came into existence with volume two. He wasn't that wasn't how he was known, and it wasn't what 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 he was doing during this period. And during this period, he really was just sort of known as a second rate Justice League character. And but Ted Ted his best friend really gives him a burn that's gotta that's gotta be deep down because Michael is a really good person at, at his core, and to have his best friend say. Just take care of yourself. It's what you do best. Seeing that page, I, I can really tell it gets to him. And it really gets to Michael. So then we get to chapter two. We got Ed Benes on art. And I I think Ed Benes does a really is a really good artist. I know and there's controversy in terms of how well he draws you know, his his depiction of women. He draws women really well, but the way that he draws women and and um and and playing up on the sexuality with women that's not really a that doesn't really come into play in this issue but i know that he's controversial in that way but i actually really like ed benny's usually um he's got a really clean clean line style that i think is is really nice to look at it's really striking and it's and it's distinctive uh reminiscent of of a michael turner or and and jim lee in 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 its clean and it's clean and slick lines i think and 
we get the we 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 get a uh booster booster in full on costume mode and he, he he decided to get back into costume a really cool panel and he said as soon as i stepped off that plane i knew where i needed to be meaning that once he got out to the endorsement and he stepped and he, he knew something was pulling him back and and that friendship i i love how well this issue plays up to friendship and the more cuz as, as big of a Booster Gold fan I am, I'm still learning about the character. I haven't read every single appearance. And so the more I learn about this friendship, so just the, the more awesome it is. And, and you, these, these are two men who really do love each other and were teammates and best friends. And he knew that his friend needed him and he knew, and he knew where he needed to be. But I, that's about it for, for chapter two for this. Um, cause I'm not going to be going through the story in terms of what's happened. I'm trying to focus on on what's going on with Michael and uh, the role that Booster plays throughout throughout this. So ch- chapter three, the art is by Jesus Saiz. Hopefully, I'm pronouncing that correctly. He's 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 also the artist who does the who does the art for the um, the OMAC project, which I'll be getting to shortly. But I don't think he does. I don't like his art quite as much. And after after Rags Morales and Ed Benes, I feel like it was a step down for chapter three. This is the scene there. This is the chapter where we have them both at the computer and and uh, the lightning or not the lightning, the uh, the explosion with the the explosion with the computer. And there was there was a there was a little bit of. Um, speculation on just how much Booster, I've listened to other podcasts talking about this issue, a little bit of speculation, just how much Booster knew about what was going on with, and how much information he has from the future, knowing and knowing that Ted was going to die. But I just don't buy it. I just don't buy that take that Booster knows everything that's going on in our, in our time, because... There's so much going on. I don't imagine a person coming back from the future really knowing anything and being able to recall anything about the past, even if what they learned about in history. I know, I certainly know if I went back a couple hundred years, what my knowledge of history is so limited that even those, those famous individuals, um, George Washington, is, you know, I don't know what's going on day to day with them. I don't, and and uh, I, I mean, this is a big event when, when Ted's going to, you know, in the course of this issue, at the end, Ted's going to die, but this is one moment when he could die. But I just don't buy into the fact that that Booster knew. Although there is the one panel that says that where there's a dialogue box that seems to, to suggest he might know. He has this determined and concerned look on his face while the dialogue box says, "That's what you do for your friends." And the dialogue box is actually Ted speaking, but. That's the awesome thing you can get with that juxtaposition between words and images with comics, and so we, we can take those words as being applied to Booster, and that's he takes over from the computer or at the computer, knowing that he's going to take one for the team for his friend, and when the computer explodes, that he he prevented that. I don't know if I if I buy it, but that panel does at least put that inkling the 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 suggestion that booster knows but i just i i just choose not to think that he knows that that much about the future or or um about the past actually from from his perspective it's just it's just how i choose to view the character but others 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 might view it differently 
and he says, "Okay, it's time to it's you know t- t- time to switch." And so he switches, and and the computer blows up, and chapter. F- and so let me get to chapter four with Ivan Reese, and Booster's in the hospital. I I I think Ivan Reese is a great artist, and he's doing all the up until he's he's doing Superman today with the Bendis run. And unfortunately, I've dropped the Bendis run, but his art on Superman, not on Action Comics, because that is uh, John John Romita Jr. on there. And I don't hate John Romita Jr. on Superman as much as a lot of people do. I think his art's fine and really good, actually, but his faces, his faces and the body, he draws such a gaunt and skinny Superman. I don't get it. Um, But um, Ivan Rice is on Superman, and that's the one thing that I lament about leaving and dropping the titles is that Ivan Rice is nailing it with Bendis' work. He's knocking it out of the park on the actual Superman title proper. And so here we get him on Chapter 4. Ted comes to the hospital to talk to Booster about Skeets. Booster said Skeets went back to the 25th century without even saying goodbye. And... And, uh, but Ted has a different idea and, and we learned that he, he didn't go home, but he was disassembled and he was actually put into Ted's goggles to spy. Booster is very upset that Skeets would be kidnapped and he, and, and he says murdered, which is, it's interesting to say murdered for a, uh, for being taken apart and disassembled, um, uh, Android computer robot. And, but he's, he's, he's very upset. He's kidnapped and murdered and used for parts. And Booster goes on to say how he's lost too many people. His sister, Ice, Sue, now Skeets. And he wants to go with Ted to keep looking into this, to keep looking in, into the investigation. But but he collapses. And we learn, the I believe the nurses in the page say that he's got third-degree burns. And third-degree burns are nothing to scoff at. Third-degree burns are serious. I don't think I've ever had a third-degree burn. I've had second-degree burns. Uh, I had a wicked, wicked, wicked sunburn one time that on my chest I, that I hope I never have anything like, like like that again. And those were second degree burns. I never had third degree, so to have third degree burns on quite a bit of his body that's pretty bad. And Ted says, "Tell him I never had a better friend than him." Such great stuff. I, I, again, such the friendship that we get throughout this title or throughout this issue, and. And you can just even just reading in this issue, you can feel the love between these 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 old friends and old teammates, and it's just heartbreaking to have Ted die at die at the end. And it's but I I love seeing these character moments, these character beats between between these 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 characters. In chapter five, we only see Booster on the computer. So Ted throughout the title or throughout the issue, Ted's been we were flashing back and forward in time and Ted's been throughout the issue at the, uh, at the checkmate headquarters and looking at this computer. And so now we get to see boosters bio up on the computer screen. And it's, it's pretty funny. We got, um, well, there's a little picture of him in, in a post doomsday doomsday armor that booster was wearing, but then he, then we got him in bikini briefs with uh, booster gold BG on the surfboard. And some and a hot babe behind him, like uh, he's do, doing a surfboard endorsement or something like that. It's pretty funny. I, I like that panel. And we all know what happens at the end. But the shot of 
And so there's not much more booster to talk about in this issue, but the shot of Ted getting shot in the head has got to be one of the most impactful panels in all of comics. I've never seen a list of single panels that have such a great impact, but this has got to be one of them. This, the panel, it's just iconic of Ted getting shot. And it's, it's horrible because we haven't had Ted back in the DC universe like he was before he died ever since. I mean, we, he's, we, he comes back every now and then and, and Blackest Night we saw him and he's been back in the new 52 or in, um, Rebirth and, but it's just not the same. It's just, it's, it's, it's not. And so this was an end of an era for, for especially it's devastating if you're the big, uh, Blue Beetle fan. Cause there's, I know there's Blue Beetle fans out there as big as, as, you know, my love for Booster. There's Blue Beetle fans out there and have your character die or um, killed like this and replaced it's heartbreaking and you're probably pretty mad at, but from not being the huge blue beetle fan i'm a i'm a more more of a blue beetle fan by proxy due to his relationship and his friendship with booster but i can't discount this the impact of this panel and this is god this is one of the all-time memorable panels so now let's move on to omac project omac project is one of the major miniseries leading up to infinite crisis and I bought this because I had read this a few years ago, and I and I remembered Booster had a role in it, and I was surprised at Booster's that Booster had a, a large role, and I remember him being a fairly large role. But it turns out it's actually not as big as I remember the role being. Um, I'm not going to cover the main series in general; just Booster's part again. And art is by Hayes Hayes Saiz, who 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 did um, Chapter Three of the Countdown to Infinite Crisis. And I'm not crazy about his art in general, but the inking is super heavy on this. And this has the glossy style paper. And I really do prefer the new style paper in general. And that's true for all comics. The glossy is annoying to read when you get reflections off light if you're if you're reading physical. Of course, it's not an issue if you're reading digital. But this miniseries has the, has the glossy, and I'm not crazy about it. So issue one, we see, so the last we knew, Booster was in the hospital. So, and this picks up right after, this picks up uh, right after the end of Countdown to Infinite Crisis. And so the next we see is Booster at a bus stop. And he's being recognized by some kid who's surprised he would be at the bus stop in normal clothes. He, he doesn't feel like talking. And the kid calls him a loser. Go back to being a spokesperson. Harsh. Just uh, not much to say on that, but just harsh again highlighting how sort of a joke booster can be in, um in his portrayal in the in the dc universe wonder woman shows up and says that ted hasn't been seen for three days they leave to go find him um and uh so she she picks him up and carries him and it's interesting that uh the way that she i don't know it just puts, puts booster in a pretty vulnerable vulnerable position he's being flown carried by wonder woman without his costume or anything Next, we get to issue two, and the issue issue two actually has Booster on the cover, so that's that's kind of nice. Booster is actually on the cover. Uh, we get uh, Max, I, I believe it's Max, looking at a computer screen, seeing seeing uh, Booster, Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman in, in, in the Watchtower. So it's kind of cool. Booster's Booster gets uh, on the cover, and Booster and Diana Diana are at the Justice League Watchtower with Batman and Superman. And reinforcing what Booster said in the countdown issue, 
Batman asks why he's even there. So that just reinforces that Booster even said it in the content issue. They think of us as second stringers or we're second stringers. And here Batman reinforces that by even by saying, what's he even doing here? You know, implying he's not worthy of being here discussing. These are matters that are above him. So just Batman talking down and talking down to, to Booster. Booster learns that Ted is dead and he's furious at Batman fires his, his energy blast at him which is which which are blocked by Superman that's basically the end of Booster's role in issue two moving on to issue three Booster and Diana in space and they're out looking for brother I and Michael says that maybe Batman is wrong about Ted being dead he accuses Batman of lying about Ted being dead but Wonder Woman says that they know in their hearts that Batman is right and Booster admits that he knows. So it could have, it's, it's, it's interesting because I feel like get, the friendship that we get from the friendship that Booster and Blue Beetle have, I feel like, yes, it comes up a lot. And a lot of volume two of Booster Go Volume Two is actually like Ted reflecting on his friend being dead. And, and it's come up, the friendships come up a lot where, you know, we, we, we think, we, you know, Booster tries to go back in time to save Ted and it doesn't work and, and things and it does work and he's back for a while and then he's not. And But I don't feel like we really got the breakdown and, and the reaction that I would have expected or wanted. I mean, this isn't a Booster Gold miniseries, the OMAC project, but it should have been such an impactful moment. And, and, and it was an issue two when he learns and he fires the energy blast at Batman. And then, and then here in issue three, where he's questioning if it's even true. And Diana says, well, you know, in your heart, it's true, but I don't know. We could have had a whole issue of booster mourning for, for Batman. I guess I get spoiled with funeral for a friend with Superman. We get a lot of, we, we, we get a whole, you know, nine issues of people mourning and, and um, reflecting on Superman. And here, such an impactful friendship. And I don't feel like it gets the weight that it deserves, but that wasn't the focus of this miniseries, So I can't, I can't fault it for that. And then guy, while they're in space, guy Gardner shows up and guy and Bo guy and booster tell wonder woman that she was never a part of their league there, the, the JLI and they don't, you know, they, she can't really relate. And this is, this is that, basically saying you weren't part of our group this is between this is something we have to deal with and they leave and to, to go find fire the justice league international character fire so then we get to issue four booster and guy show up at fire's apartment and guy says that he hopes they catch her while she is getting out of the shower and and about the time he put a camera in now i gotta say i'm a red-blooded male who likes the, the female figure just like anybody else who's um, a heterosexual male or even a you know, a non-heterosexual female. And I don't mind some tits and ass in my comics, but could Guy get any more sleazy here? And and I don't like it. I It depends on who writes him, but I like a guy who's show-offy, super confident, so confident that the arrogance just ex exudes off of him, and you know it's a character flaw. But I don't like him to be sleazy, and it depends on who writes him. I don't mind, you know, maybe he's even mildly sh chauvinistic, but that sleazy where you just feel dirty like that he's he's he is not a good human being and he you know is doing things like putting cameras and it's just not funny i don't i don't find it funny i feel like in a lot of the um the post rebirth stuff and the stuff that jeff johns would do with guy gardner that's that's the writing that i that i really like with guy and i feel like it fits what i that 
the the super arrogant and macho guy, but not the sleazy guy that we often see and that that is the writers will go to. That's a well I just wish they would stay away from. And Fire is deep in her own into her own investigation about who killed Ted, and she suspects Max. So now we get to issue five. Booster, Guy, and Fire, and Metamorpho, and Mary Marvel, so a lot of the JLI crew, show up to help John in his fight against an OMAC. It's a cool fight. It's long. It lasts about nine pages. It's a really, really cool fight. And getting back to the what I was talking about earlier about how much does Booster know about the future, another bit of evidence that goes against my what I want to think is that that Booster does know a lot is that... Um, fire gets hurt and he's worried that she's going to die and he says that he can't remember who dies here implying that other times he does know but evidence against booster knowing ted ahead of time and not wanting to believe in issue three says that maybe he didn't also i don't think booster would let it would let ted die no matter what without trying his damnedest to make it not happen you know, sort of, sort of what he does in Booster Gold Volume Two, but I guess I can't deny the evidence here, where another, an, an, another place that, because it's, it this seems to be the exception that Booster doesn't know who dies here, that it sort of implies that the rule is generally he does, so then, generally, so he knew that Ted was going to die, sort of implying that he, how how much he knew, and so, I just prefer. It just takes me out of it if I think that Michael knows everything that's going on with the present. I, I don't find it realistic, but also it takes me out and it makes the peril feel a little bit less real because he knows the outcome. So I, I normally just subscribe to the fact that to the notion that he doesn't. Um, so then in, in issue six, we get Booster and Guy visiting Fire in the hospital after that fight in issue five. And again, in the ongoing debate about how much Booster knows, he says, Booster says, Ted's dead, my best friend, and I couldn't re- remember enough to save his life. But as I'm saying, uh, so uh, more textual evidence here written by Greg Rucka that Booster should have known that Ted was going to die. And I don't know. I, I just think it's unreasonable. I just think it's unreasonable to think that Booster knows the details of today's modern day. I just do. Booster says goodbye. He takes off his goggles and says he's going home, presumably to the 25th century. So that's how we wrap up Booster's role in the Omic Project. And Booster says he's going home. Takes off his goggles. Um, so then the next appearance in this Infinite Crisis uh, Booster Gold retrospective is in Infant Crisis. Um, actually, I'm going to back up for a second while I'm still covering OMEC Project. I, I'm going to say in the um, the OMEC special, um, it takes place after issue six of, of Infinite Crisis, and Booster's on a couple of pages there, but nothing. It's only after Brother Eye comes out of the sky, and he's only just there and, um, and doesn't have anything to play. So there's not much. I'm just going to, in case you're wondering, well, what, what about the OMEC special? You covered all six issues of the... OMEC project proper. What about the OMEC project special? And it's there. Booster's role is just super minimal in that. So doesn't really need need or deserve much coverage from the Booster Gold standpoint. So where do we get... So now, at the end of OMEC project, Booster says he's going going back home to the 25th century, presumably. So what happens in Infinite Crisis? 
Well, we don't see him until issue two. And and as I was doing my notes, I actually document how many pages on each issue we see him because it's not much. It's not much. So in issue two, we see him for one page. And again, this is his last appearance since we saw him in in the Olmec Project. And he shows up on the moon with Skeets back from the 25th century. An updated costume, basically the the volume two version of the costume, no collar. And we get no explanation of where they were or how Skeets is back. Um, this is most likely a new Skeets because we learned that the previous Skeets was disassembled and and was spy was used to help spy on Ted uh, in in the Omar Project. So this this must be a new Skeets, you'd think, but that's not um, that's not ever made clear. But Skeets Skeets references not being able to go back to the 25th century after stealing historical records, presumably to help remember and be aware of. 21st century events and they reference needing to find blue beetle scarab and it's only one page it's a pretty cool page uh booster's pretty you know you get kind of a cool a, a cool panel of booster on the booster on the moon and we don't see him again until at all in issue three then we see him again in issue four for one page so again that's four issues of infinite crisis and he's been on two pages he shows up at jaime reyes's house the Who's go, who we all know now is you know going to be the new Blue Beetle, and he, he wakes up and startles Jaime and says that he needs the scarab back, and Skeets um, the Blue Beetle scarab, and Skeets notes that the scarab has fused itself onto Jaime's spine. Issue number five, issue number five of Infinite Crisis, on the um, on the variant cover we get Booster on the on the we get Booster on the cover drawn by Jim Lee. It's pretty cool. Um, cover actually wait 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 was it on the variant cover or on the regular cover I think it's actually on the regular cover but either way we get booster I'm just trying to take a look at my trade right now yeah I believe it's on the Jim Lee variant cover that boosters on the cover and it, it it's really good and it's drawn by Jim Lee and Lee hasn't drawn much booster gold other than this cover Although Booster's left arm is kind of in a weird position if you look at it, but I'm as, as I mentioned earlier with the Countdown Infinite Crisis cover, I'm one of those people who thinks that Jim Lee's covers are or Jim Lee as an artist is awesome. A lot of people, you know, some people, it, it's you know you're so popular that uh, people can turn on you. You know, it's the Nickelback syndrome. But I firmly stay entrenched in saying that I think Jim Lee's pretty awesome. So it's really cool to see him draw Booster Gold here. And this one, he gets to be on two pages. Issue five gets to be on two pages. We got Booster and Jaime in the Batcave, and, they, and they're captured by Batman. Booster calls Jaime the new Blue Beetle, which surprises Jaime. To, and the Scarab, the Scarab activates and turns Jaime into, into the Blue Beetle. And I got to say, even though I'm not a, really, a real big fan of Jaime, I'm a pretty big fan of the Blue Beetle design that they have for Jaime's Blue Beetle. I like Ted's classic look too, but I think the Jaime is is pretty slick pretty slick looking too but i just never warmed that much to jaime but i i didn't read that much of him to be honest booster says that jaime is the only one on earth who can find brother i so issue six we get issue issue six of infinite crisis booster's involved on quite in quite a few uh more pages so up until this point up until issue six booster had been on 
what, one, two, three, four pages so far. Issue six, it's the whole plan to take Jaime and the team up and to stop Brother Eye once and for all. And Booster and the team are in blue in, in, in the blue Beetle vehicle. And I apologize if I can't I just can't remember what the uh, what the Blue Beetle's um, Beetle is uh, the Beetlemobile is called. I, I I think he references what it's called in the, the death of Su- in the death of Superman um, issues uh, Justice League issue sixty nine or sixty eight, which whichever it is where they're flying and following Doomsday's path to destruction. I, c- I could I probably could have pulled that out and referenced what exactly the vehicle's called, but it's basically the uh, Beetle Beetle Mo- Mobile. And they're trying to find Brother Eye. They're attacked by Omax, and Booster is around for what's going on. But he, he actually doesn't—so even though he's on more panels and more pages, he actually doesn't have much to do here. His big role was to get Jaime in position to find Brother Eye, and he, and he did that. And so now he's just sort of around for the rest of the events. Jaime gets Brother Eye to decloak, and Batman and Mr. Terrific cause Brother Eye to fall out of orbit. And Booster says, Booster says that the Scarab says that they are done. And that's pretty much it for Booster's role in the entire Infinite Crisis saga. So he's around with the investigation, Ted's investigation, which ultimately leads to Ted's death. And then he plays a role in the OMEC project, um, trying to find out what happened to Ted. And then a role in Infinite Crisis of playing a, a for the relatively small uh, page count that he's actually on he plays a big role in getting Jaime to embrace the new blue beetle and then bring down brother eye so that's that's a booster's arc throughout the throughout infinite crisis and that was pretty much the end of it until 2019 when we had the dark multiverse and everything that came with that and I'm not I have not been interested in the Dark Knight's metal, any of the metal stuff, the metal universe, the dark multiverse. I'm not in, in, interested in any of it, what's going on with Scott um, Snyder and that, all of that stuff going on. But my ears perked up when we learned there was going to be a, it was going to be a, basically a uh, reason, a uh, explanation for being able to have Elseworld stories, Elseworld type stories with dark twists on classic DC comic storylines. So we got a Tales from the Dark Multiverse story in, um, in 2019 um, for the Death of, Death of Superman, which I read. Maybe I'll cover that at another point. And then Infinite Crisis. We got a Tales from the Dark Multiverse Infinite Crisis special. And these are just little one-shots. They're not, you know, they're um, expanded page count, not just they're bigger than a single issue. But they're not very big, but they're just um, basically Elseworld stories and the rationale, the backdrop for for these stories was there as, like it says, these are tales from the dark multiverse. And I'm vaguely aware that there's a dark multiverse, which is, sits outside of the regular multiverse. Um, but it's 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 basically a these. My interests was only in that uh, we get alternate and darker takes on on classic storylines, and I'll and I'll cover the the. Tales from the Dark Multiverse, Death of Superman, in a future episode. But in this issue, it's it's all about Ted. Um, and it's sort of a, a parallel to the Countdown to Infinite Crisis 
and um, in that issue, Ted gets killed, as we've as, as, as I've talked about, and hopefully you've read if you're listening to this episode. But in this issue, which again, remember, is a take, it's basically an Elseworlds story. In this issue, issue, Max doesn't kill Blue Beetle. Ted fights, Ted fights back, and he kills Max in a cool mirroring of the famous headshot panel. So we get um, Ted, Ted killing Max here, and uh, the flip, and it's really cool. Ted goes on to stop all the major events leading to Infinite Crisis and prevents, you know, he, he prevents Gene Loring from becoming an Eclipso, stops the Rand Thanagar conflict, kills Alexander Luther and the Superman of Earth Two and Lois Lane of Earth Two. And he eventually dons the anti-monitor armor and costume. And the costume is a hybrid of the anti-monitor and Blue Beetle. And it's sort of a classic to become the best hero the, he, and to save the world, the, the hero becomes a tyrant. It's a take on that. It's a take on that type of story. And so here we get Blue Beetle to, what, what, to do what he thinks is the right thing. He basically becomes a tyrant and a ruler and, and um, basically a dark side um, to Apocalypse is what Blue Beetle is here for the Earth. The entire issue was pretty cool, especially when you read it right after the countdown, Infinite Crisis, and then Infinite Crisis. Like, the parallels are really cool here. Um, and Booster Booster is in parts of the issues. He's, he's, he's on 10 pages. So not, not, not a small amount. And we see Booster at the Watchtower, um, we open or the first sign of Booster is Booster at the Watchtower. He's upset because no one has heard from Ted in weeks. So this is after the investigation part where, um, so all the Booster and Ted stuff that we covered from the Countdown Infinite Crisis special. This is after all that, and he's 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 at the Watchtower upset. And then the next time we see him is at the Checkmate headquarters, and he's trying. He's learned that Ted's still alive, and he's trying to reason with Ted. And Ted says they never that they never did enough, and now he is doing something. And as head of the checkmate, he's the only one that can. And Booster tells Ted that he sounds like Max, and he and he flies off. And Ted tells Booster that he killed that he killed Max, and Booster's shocked at this. And Booster Booster feels dis- disappointed in Ted, and and it's it's at that point that Ted or that um uh, Booster flies off. And Booster comes back at the end after Ted has gone full anti-monitor um in the full anti-monitor uniform uniform and all hell is breaking loose the classic we have to um you know the uh like i said the the good guy who be wants to rule the earth and becomes a tyrant this is basically superman from the injustice video games we've seen it lots, lots of times and booster points a gun at ted and ted's uniform not Ted himself, but Ted's uniforms defense mechanisms activate and shoot a laser, a, a laser hole, a pretty large one, like like the size of a, di- a dinner plate, through Booster's chest, and we get a full splash page of Ted holding Booster's dead body. Ted tells Booster that he's sorry, and the issue ends with the anti monitor, the anti monitor Ted on a mechanical throne while the Omax fly in the sky. Pretty dark ending. So th- that issue really does wrap up the Booster Gold and Infinite Crisis um, and, and, and his role in Infinite Crisis and the Infinite Crisis that never came to be in the Tales in the Imaginary. It, basically an imaginary story of Tales of the Dark Multiverse. I guess technically this happened in one of the Earths of the Dark Multiverse, but it's basically, in my mind, an imaginary story about um, alternate way that Infinite Crisis could have went down, and it's it's pretty cool. So there you have it, folks. That is the... 
that's Booster Gold's role, relatively minor role, but it filled up enough time. I have been rambling on about it for quite a bit of time. Uh, Booster Gold's role in Infinite Crisis and the lead-ups to Infinite Crisis and uh, the Infinite Crisis Dark Multiverse special. So next time, I'm not sure what I'm going to cover next time. I hope I hope you enjoyed this episode. It was fun reminiscing and talking about the Christopher Reeve at the movies, uh, Christopher Reeve Superman movies at the movies, <laughs> at the um, seeing it on the big screen and talking about Booster Gold and Infinite Crisis. I don't know exactly what I'm going to be talking about next time. It'll be July, July's episode. But I hope everyone is having a great summer, and I will talk to you next time. Uh-huh.